Think Squad, have you ever had one of those moments where you wrap up a conversation with someone and then you get back in your car and reflect back on what you just said and you think, man, I regret just about everything I just said. I really think I came off like a royal jerk. Not good. Well, I've been there many, many, many times. And maybe you have too. And one of the worst times to feel that way is after you've just shared the gospel with someone, when you've been evangelizing or attempting to. When you're evangelizing is one time when you really don't want to come off like a douche. So how do you avoid this? How do we avoid being smug, gospel smugness? And yet, how do we avoid that without being so quote-unquote humble that we water down the message and don't end up evangelizing at all? And how do we as dads help prepare our kids to have evangelistic conversations without being smug themselves? How do we help them lay down these principles for humble evangelism? To answer these questions, I'm bringing on Blake Long. Blake is a young dad himself. He's an author and a blogger. And together, we discuss his book, Gospel Smugness, in which he argues that the gospel is offensive enough without us unnecessarily adding to the offense. In this episode, we discuss things like the importance of reading the room when sharing the gospel, how empathy factors into evangelism, and he does address the misconception right now that's out there that empathy is a sin. We talk about what it really means to speak the truth in love as scripture commands us to do, and why an arrogant Calvinist really should be an oxymoron. So don't miss this entertaining and informative conversation that I have with Blake Long and the solid principles he lays out for humble evangelism. My name is Joel Setacase. I'm a Christian apologist, husband, and the father of four kiddos. In 2009, I left my job in the business world to teach high school Bible at Chicago Hope Academy. That decision would set me on a journey that would bring me first to seminary to study apologetics and earn my master's in philosophy of religion, then into local church ministry, where I became a youth pastor and eventually an interim lead pastor, and then to joining Crew and launching the Think Institute in 2019. Now, I'm on a mission to help fathers lead their families in defending the Christian message. I don't have all the answers, but I'm determined to go find them. And through this show, I'm reporting back to you, the Think Squad, what I discover. Welcome to the Think Podcast. Really quickly before we start, if you have an interest in the intersection of fatherhood and apologetics, as I do, as well as philosophy, theology, and many, many leather-bound books, I want to let you know about our online community, the Think Squad group on Facebook. There, you can join hundreds of other Christ followers also on the same journey. We trade apologetic stories and strategies, discuss philosophical and theological questions. It's like a huge late night bull session in your favorite cigar lounge. And it's actually led to some real life hangouts as well. So check it out, the Think Squad Facebook group. Blake Long, welcome to the ThinkPod. Hey, nice, nice to be here. Appreciate you letting me come on. I appreciate you coming on, man. And I, I also appreciate you sending me a copy of your book, which I'm holding up for those who are watching on YouTube. This is 
gospel smugness displaying Christ-like character in evangelism. And I tell you, man, this is a topic that hits close to home for me. Um, I am an evangelist. I work with an evangelistic organization. Um, the Think Institute, which is the ministry that we started, is under a, the our parent organization, which is Crew Church mm-hmm. Movements. And so uh, we are very evangelistic. And uh, when a resource like this comes out, that is, as I understand it, really aimed at helping people to share the gospel in a way that is Christ-like and to take the term from your title, not smug, um, but, but in a way that is, uh, well, I'll let you, I'll let you explain your thesis and everything, but um, why don't you just give us an intro to who you are, what do you do, and what do people know about you? What do, what yeah. do people need to know about you? Sure. So, well, I mean, the first thing, my goodness, the first thing is I'm a Christian, um, but my name is Blake Long. Um, I am almost 27 years old, so I'm still a little young here. I've been married to my wife, Shell, for um, four years now. She's a special ed teacher here in our local town, and I work for a um, <clears throat> nonprofit philanthropic organization that does a scholarship program and different things like that. So it's, it's a good work. So that's what I do from eight to five every day. Um, other than that, um, we are members of Sovereign Grace Bible Church. It is a Reformed Baptist um, church in our hometown. It's also part of the SBC as well. Um, other than that, I, I blog weekly at theologyandlife.com. Um, I, more than anything, I, I post each Friday morning. Um, sometimes I might post twice per week, but I try to devote just one post per week to make sure it looks good. And even then I still make mistakes after people share it and I see, you know, grammatical issues and I kick myself. Um, other than that, other than, uh, all that good stuff, um, oh, look at you putting theology in life up there. I love it. Um, wrote that book and it's been, it's been a crazy thing. So, Oh, I left out the best. I left out the best part. Um, I am a dad to Jovi Grace. She is two. Uh, I know the terrible twos are a thing for many people, but they haven't been that terrible to us just yet. Maybe, maybe three is going to be a little worse. I don't know. Um, and my wife is also, like I told you, 38 weeks pregnant at the moment. Um, so we're in that stage of just impatiently waiting for, uh, the little girl to arrive. So we're, we're being a little anxious, but that's, that's a little bit about me. And, uh, could happen any day, correct? Dude, it could happen while we're on the podcast. Can you imagine how sweet, how sweet that'd be? (laughs) (laughs) That would be awesome. Um, well, man, brother, I'm, I'm grateful to have you here. And uh, it's nice to talk to another member of a, um, a Reformed Baptist SBC church. My wife and I belong to Redeemer Fellowship in St. Charles, Illinois, which is... Uh, oh, hey, yeah. that, hey, you said that. I'm going, why do I know that church? <laughs> do you know Doc and Devo? Yeah, I know Doc and Devo. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. So yeah, so Joe Thorne is our lead pastor, as you probably cool. know, and um, and so yeah, we've been attending there for um, well since since last fall, and became members about three or four months ago, and um, and I'm a little bit of a fish out of water. I talk about this on my show sometimes, but I'm not a, I'm not technically a Reformed Baptist. Yeah, I'm um, not technically a Reformed Baptist either, but I just like the phrase. Yeah, right. Are you okay? So so what would you call yourself? 
I mean, if <laughs> labels, you know, but if you want to put a label on it, I'm just, I ascribe to Tulip. Okay. But I certainly don't believe everything about Reformed theology. Yeah. Um, okay. I'm not too big into the covenant stuff. Like, it, I, it's hard for me to oh. talk about it. Let's go. Listen, I got <laughs> something for you. I got something for you right here. You know what this is? Yeah. See, that would that would that would bore me to death. <laughs> no, 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 no. This this you would like because you're a theology and life guy. This yeah. is another Blake. This is Blake White. Uh-huh. Blake Blake White writes from the perspective of New Covenant theology. Have you heard of New Covenant theology? I've heard of that. I've heard of. I don't know if this is a taboo for Reformed Baptist guys, but I've heard of. Is it NCT New Covenant theology? That's, or is that what it. you just said? That's what I just said. NCT. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's not taboo on this show, brother. We talk about yeah. it a lot. That's what I subscribe to, and it okay. gets me in all kinds of trouble. Yeah, um, I've been called a loud NCT guy. Um, <laughs> actually, I was called that by Joe and Jimmy on their podcast. Oh, that's and great. Um, behind my back, which is rude, but uh, but yeah, man, we I, I tell you, NCT I believe is the most biblical system, and uh, and I always say that I subscribe not to the Second London Baptist Confession of Faith. But the first London Baptist Confession of Faith, which I have huh. a copy of, an updated, modernized copy somewhere on my. Yeah, it's got to be shelves. modernized. It's got to be modernized. <laughs> it's be it's modernized. A brother named David Winkle did a great job of of modernizing that. I've got it around here somewhere. But, um, but anyway, man. Um, so so you decided to write a book. I you blog. To write a book. You blog on theology. Um, you know, you're 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 only 27 year, years old. You're just some punk kid. What uh, you're coming along? You're writing this book. It's it's rich in theology. It's um it's highly practical, mm-hmm. and um, and you know where where does a punk kid like you get off writing a uh, a book on theology like this? <laughs> punk kid, I've never been called that one. Yeah, the okay. Lord saved me in 2013. So when I was 18. Um, it was, it was a strange thing because I could just got out of high school. I, you know, so that would have been <clears throat> six months removed from high school okay. and just started college. So it, it literally the, you know, the first night at college, which we have a college here in Ada. So, you know, never left. So, okay. So that, and that's where you attended. Yes. It's called okay. East Central University. Got it. Division two school. Um, I, I, I played golf on the team for a year and a half. Nice. And so the first night, you know, the first night as a freshman, you, you, you want to, you don't want to go crazy, but you want to get a hint or taste of you know, what you're about to experience sure. for the next four years. And I remember I was with some other guys on the golf team and they were at their apartment and they were drinking and they offered me a beer and I said, no. And I was like, this is the first night. I don't want to, I don't want to do that on the first night. Mm-hmm. And then an RA came by and they didn't see anything. So all was well, but um, it's like, I, I, even though as a non-Christian at that point, still ostracized myself just because I, I denied, yeah. the, denied the alcohol that night. But long story short, um, December of 13. So it was really um, Christmas break of that year. Um, I was just, you know, hanging out with my, my wife, my then girlfriend at the, at the time. And we were just talking about our future, just simple things like that, talking about our future. And then for some reason, um, you know, I look back at it and it's funny cause I don't even know if I view the end times the same way, but I started talking about, Hey, what, you know, what happens if Jesus came back today? 
you know, yeah. the, the typical, how do you want your life to be all this stuff? And I like literally just was like, I want to be living right. And those are the words I said, but I look back on it and I say, well, that's, that, that was my repentance and faith, even though I didn't say, you know, I repent and believe. You didn't pray the sinner's prayer. so Exactly. So I mean, yeah. growing up where I grew up, I always believed it, but I didn't believe it in a saving way. I didn't trust mm. it. Um, but that night, I truly think he, he converted me because ever since that, like literally some people don't know when, and that's fine. But that night is the marker of, I know that it, at the very least, my attitude changed about sin. Mm. Even though I've still struggled with sin mightily after that for probably a year with different things and trying to get over different things. But my attitude changed about it. Um, wow. So I, I went through those four years of college um, going the complete opposite direction I thought I was going to go. How so? Crazy experience. How how did it go in a completely different direction? Like how so? Well, in, instead of you know living it up, and I knew I wasn't going to be a like a crazy college student because mm. I was always sort of disciplined, and I you know even though it was a nominally Christian home, it was still a moral home, so to speak. Got it. Um, I, I never really got into trouble, and sure. so I, I knew I would never do something that stupid. Although you never know. Um, I just knew that I, I would, you know, if, if God wouldn't have saved me my freshman year, then I would have gone through college, you know, going to parties, sure. doing different things, all that crazy stuff. Man. But then he took me on a completely opposite direction. And we, you know, we started going to church, got plugged into that. And um, it's just a different thing. And, and gosh, th thank the Lord for saving me during that. And, you know, and, and of course, having to deal with professors, you know, being antagonistic to the faith and all that stuff. And did you experience that? Not in an incredible way. Not like more people would if they're in a different demographic. Um, mm -hmm. Even though this university is, you know, in the heart of cultural Christianity, it's a very, very liberal university. Mm. It is really the only reason why my hometown is any liberal at all. Um, That's so, pretty common. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of crazy. Even in red yeah. areas. Yeah. Um, I mean, the, the worst I had was dealing with evolution, dealing with biology. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, I switched my major to mass communications two years in. And what did you start out as? Business management. Okay. Yeah. Um, switched my major to that and I was around, I, I was the minority. So it was a class full of liberals and i was the basically the weird conservative that had a different opinion on everything and so no one was really ever antagonistic to me so that was a good thing but there was definitely differing of opinions and all that good fish stuff. out of water yeah definitely so how did you get into theology i mean you're blogging now at, at theology and just for our listeners on the podcast i want to make sure i get the web address right it's theology dash and dash life Dot com, correct? Yeah, you can thank WordPress for that one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, WordPress is fun with those. Uh, I want, it makes me want to go to just theologyandlife.com and see what's on there and be like, I need your address. <laughs> I want, I'm going to pull it up. Let's pull it up and see. Well, okay, so while I'm pulling that up and we see who's got your your uh, web address, how did you start? Oh, look at this. Okay, let me show you something. This is ripe for the picking because if you go there, 
Look, the site uh, can't be reached. Well, how, there's nothing there, man. Well, I deserve that URL. But how did you get into theology? Yeah. And you know what? What sparked this interest? So, I've, I, I at least before I became a Christian, I was never a big reader. Um, once I became a Christian, I, I started to to have a bigger hunger for that stuff. And so the first book I read, and kind of giving the long story here, the first book I read was Not a Fan by Kyle Eidelman. I don't know. I have it. Read. Okay. Yeah, I remember Amazing it. Amazing right book. Yeah. Um, it really, thank God that was the first book I, <laughs> I read. Um, I will say I did dabble in a little bit of Rick Warren in those days. Sure. <laughs> We all, dab, we all dabble. We all dabble. It didn't wreck me at all. I mean, at least the stuff I remember listening to him, I was like, this is fine. Sure. I still think it is, but yeah. Anyways, listen, I'm with you, man. This is a safe space place. You can, <laughs> you can talk about NCT. You can talk about Rick Warren. If you start getting into like Stephen Furtick or Joel Osteen, yeah, don't worry about you that. might have some issues. Well, you know, we might have to turn this into an, an intervention, but right. we're good so far. Uh -huh. <laughs> um, I love Beth Morton. I'm just joking. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, listen, it's been fun. Uh, right. but it's time to go home. We got to okay? go home. Yep. I mentioned. <laughs> yep. So I was at work one day and work was very boring. So I decided to get on my iPhone and go to the, the bookstore app or whatever it is. And boy, the, the providence of God on display. I just downloaded this book. I can't remember what the book was, what the title of the book was, but it was by this fellow named R.C. Sproul. That's mm -hmm. how I pronounced the name. Really? Yes. And boy, I, I just, it, it amazes me each time I think about it. That's the first book I opened up. I downloaded it. I read it. And I was like, whoa, this is really cool. Mm -hmm. And then I realized I, I, I pronounced it wrong. But um, yeah, he's like one of the first guys I, I start reading. And so I, I do look back on it and I think I, I was kind of um, put the cart before the horse or whatever it's called, because instead of really diving straight into scripture, I started reading more of the theologians. So I was reading Sproul. I was reading Piper. I was reading uh, some of Matt Chandler's stuff. Mm -hmm. Um all the Calvinists, okay, all the reform guys. Yeah. And I was beginning to learn and take in all that stuff. And then it wasn't as if I was then going to scripture to confirm it because all the stuff you read, you know, they have scripture saturated throughout. But I spent more time reading those works than I did the scriptures, anyways. Sure. But um, he, he, the Lord still showed me all that stuff early on. And all of this while I, you know, we're attending a, Pentecostal church. Okay. Now I have, of course I have criticisms for the church, but it's not anything horrific. Sure. It's the same reason I'd criticize the Presbyterian church for baptizing infants. Finally decided to, to leave and go to a non-denominational church, which the, the pastor there at the time was a Calvinist. Um, and so we started going there. We went there for about eight or nine months and then he left. And that was kind of a, it wasn't one of the things where we left just because he left, he left. And then for some reason, like the D the, the, the board of deacons or whatever you want to call them mm -hmm. figured out he was Calvinist and they figured out we we're a bunch of Calvinists, those dirty rotten Calvinists that are up to no right. good. And, right. Um, you know, we were trying to, 
make sure the church was going to go in the right direction. And we didn't think it was going to the person mm. they were putting in there, his place was a big Osteen fan. So we were just, we're trying to make sure things were going to be okay with the church. They took that as in, insubordination. Mm. And I basically told my wife the last night we had a, like a meeting with them. We're going to sovereign grace. So that was okay. in 2016. We've been at sovereign grace ever since. So we've been there for five years, probably next month, actually. Okay. Um, we've had our ups and downs there. I mean, there are things I disagree with, even with my elders. We have four pastors. We're elder-led. Um, but, man, I, I, you, at least in Ada, Oklahoma, you couldn't find a better church. Um, so we're talking about how you got into theology. Yeah, and it's yeah. you know it's, it's really interesting to hear your story, Blake. I love it because here you are. You're reading R.C. Sproul and, uh, and Matt Chandler. And, and your journey, I know a lot of guys in your age group are are listening to this right now because we've got a lot of young dads who listen guys in their late twenties, early thirties, a lot of, a lot of aspiring dads yeah. and they're listening and they're hearing their story reflected in yours right now. Yeah. And I'm hearing a lot of my story and my brother's story as well, because uh, I don't know if you got into Mark Driscoll stuff at all, but I mean, no, I actually did not. You didn't. Okay. So, mm-hmm. so you, you somehow missed Driscoll, but I, you got Chandler Driscoll, Piper. But I sure am listening to that podcast and going, Okay. Good or bad thing that I missed him. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, it was a it was a moment. It was a moment yeah. in time. And you know, the whole young restless reformed right. movement was happening. And um I, and I know a lot of guys are are hearing that and they're they're as you mentioned early on in the podcast, you're about to have this is your second born, mm-hmm. correct? Yeah. yeah. So so I know a lot of guys are listening and they're resonating with your story. And I'm I'm excited to hear about how you decided to pick yeah. A, this topic for the book, and B, how you decided to develop these themes. So as you as you go through your book and as you're developing this idea of gospel smugness, um, you start out by talking about how tolerance is the golden rule of liberals, even though I would say it's probably not really anymore. Not no. Well, let me say of the left, maybe not liberals, but of the so- left. It's one of those frustrating things. The the first page or whatever page it is, it's the first page of either the introduction or chapter one where I use the term liberals and there's a footnote on the paperback. And I explain the difference you're kind of alluding to in the ebook. Somehow that um, footnote got deleted or erased. Mm. Um, but yeah, I, 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 so one of the people who endorsed the book, Justin Huffman, um, when he sent his endorsement, he also gave me some much needed advice and he basically was saying, if I don't make clarification, I might ostracize those who will say they're liberal um, and might be guilty of the same thing I'm trying to criticize or correct in the book. Hmm. And so what I try to do is make the case of there are many liberals in this world that are kind, nice people, mm-hmm. not who I'm referring to in this book. I'm referring to the left. Right. I'm referring to the leftist people who we who we see on CNN, who we see, yeah. you know, exactly right, exactly mm-hmm. what you mean. Yeah, I, I got gotcha. you. Okay, so that's good. I'm I'm glad I'm glad you made that clarification. I think that was that was a, a good word from Justin Huffman there. Yeah. And what would you say, Blake, is the central 
thesis of your book? What's the big idea you want everyone to walk away from? So the big idea is, is kind of threefold. So number one, as Christians, if we believe in the gospel truly, we know the gospel is offensive inherently because of what it tells what it about because of what it says about human nature. You know, we're, we're sinners in need of a savior where we have wicked hearts, you know, we yeah. do no good, all this stuff. And so inherently the gospel message is going to tick people off. It's going to offend people. Right. But then we've also read Matthew 28, 19 and 20. We've also read the great commission. We are mm-hmm. to go out and to make disciples of all nations. We're going to share the gospel. So how do we share this gospel with the world um, that one, they get offended by everything. We have safe spaces at universities now, yeah. literally safe spaces. What mm-hmm. is that? Do, do you go in a room and just cry for a little bit? I don't understand. That's how I envision it. I, I just, you know, bubbles and a pony. I, or, or do you go into a room with other people and you just talk about your feel? I just don't, I just don't get it. Sounds terrible. So the culture is offended. The gospel is offensive already. Mm-hmm. We have to share this, um, believing that the Lord is going to use it. And many times we get in the way because we are either being jerks and we don't know it, whether we're being condescending, arrogant, smug, um, whether we're it, it's something as simple as not reading the room well. Many people don't read the room. Um, I think I used the, the illustration of a book of you're not going to use the same tone of voice or the same posture or whatever you want to call it. If you're having a cup of coffee with somebody at Starbucks rather than on the, the street corner with an amplification. I mean, it's just, you have to read your environment. So the gospel is offensive enough. Mm-hmm. What can we do, Blake, when we're evangelizing, when we're sharing the gospel to, to take our own arrogance and smugness and pride out of the equation and let the gospel in its beauty and glory shine through. What can we do? So many things, but I think two things come to mind, at least from what I've written down in the book. Um, A big part of this is practicing empathy. Now, I know we've, at least all the people that are on the Twitterverse and keep up with all this stuff know about what what I'm about to talk about. (laughs) Go ahead. Go ahead, man. Empathy is not a sin. (laughs) Um, Okay. The Joe Rigney thing. Like, at least what he talked about. That's not what empathy is. You're, you're talking about the episode of man rampant with Doug Wilson, where he interviewed yeah. Joe Rigney and the episode was literally called the sin of empathy. Yeah. And you're saying that your definition of empathy that you're using is different. So, so stipulate your definition of empathy. Okay. So, so let me, just let me to appease that. all the people who just got triggered. I, <laughs> I watched or listened to like five minutes of that interview. Okay. okay. So, I'm not totally sure all of what Joe Rigney. Okay. Well, how do you define it? I define empathy. <laughs> it's so funny. Me and my wife had an argument about this the other day. I define empathy as basically uh, trying to walk in someone else's shoes. Okay. Very simple, very straightforward. I think everybody can understand that. So practicing empathy and evangelism. If we go into a conversation or if we're street preaching or whatever we're doing, if one of the things we remember is to be empathetic to, to them, not in their sin, 
don't be empathetic to their sin. That's not what I'm saying, but be empathetic in the sense of you used to be that. Yes. You used to be that person. You used to um, be blinded by Satan. You used to hate God, whether it was true hatred and antagonism or whether you were apathetic to him like I was or anything else. We be empathetic to knowing we used to be that person. We used to be on the other side of the fence, um, not truly knowing the gospel because God hadn't enlightened our hearts yet. And so when we come into a conversation, remembering who we once were, it is far more difficult to, to use the word. It's far more difficult to be smug in the process or to be condescending or to basically just be a jerk in however way that looks. Especially the the way that you told your story and I was listening and I love the way you told the Blake, because you said, that I, I'm, I'm going to paraphrase what you said. Tell me if I get it right. Mm-hmm. You basically pointed to that moment. And you said, that's when the Lord saved you. That's when you were born again. That's when God regenerated you. And the way that you told the story, at least the way that I heard it, it was God doing the work. Mm-hmm. And I, the reason I say I love to hear that is because what you, when you're talking about empathy and you're talking about remembering that you used to be that way, yep. that's not a pride thing. It's not, I used no. to be that way, but I pulled myself up. I made no. something of myself. I got wise. It's no, I used to be that way. And, but for the grace of God entirely, I would still be that way. Is that, am I, am I reading you right? That's absolutely right. We have no, there's no place for pride or egos or smugness in the Christian life, uh, it, whether it's just talking with another brother uh, or whether it's studying scripture or whether it's sharing the gospel, mm-hmm. um, it's antithetical. So how do we speak the truth, which we have to do, mm-hmm. and how do we speak it in love, which we have to do, without watering it down, without using the L word, love, as a sort of... Um, get out of jail free card where we now no longer have to actually preach the gospel. You know what I mean? Yeah. How do we, how do we preach it in love without watering it down? Two examples. First one, the apostle Paul. Okay. Now, um, at least the example that comes to mind, well, he's still preaching the gospel there because Christians need the gospel every day. So I use the, the, the example of Peter, no, of Paul confronting Peter in Galatians toward the end of the book. Mm -hmm. Um, Though that was not like a, a you know a sharing the gospel conversation or a witnessing conversation to an unbeliever, um, the apostle Paul was speaking the truth in love to Peter, even though he's confronting Peter over his sin and over you know not walking, you know as someone who believes the gospel. Right. So Paul was in, taking the truth of the gospel um, and, and lovingly rebuking and correcting Peter in the process for, mm-hmm. for basically not acting like a Christian. And like we do that all the time. Mm-hmm. The second example is of Christ. Now, of course, in Scripture, there's so many examples to look to. But the, the two that come to my mind are the two polar opposites, so to speak, that we look at. You can go to the woman at the well mm-hmm. and how he spoke with her in a very gentle, very kind. You know, it's always kind of course, 
yeah. for him, but very kind, very gentle, soft-spoken, you know. I mean, he wasn't too kind to the Pharisees, Sadducees, and scribes. If, exactly. You know, you know what I mean? different people. Yeah. You read the room. It, there you go, Craig. <laughs> there you go. But then the other example, the other example Reformed Christians love to use is flipping the tables in the temple. Love it. Now, I'm just like, that's, of course, the flipping the tables in the temple is a big thing. It's not a big part of the book, but it's a big theme behind the book. Yeah, he did it um, twice, probably. Huh? I think he did it twice. So it's in there. Yeah. It's so it's just it's one of those things where even in that he's speaking the truth in love, even if he's you no know, not not explicitly you know you know telling him to come to faith. But uh, so those those are some examples of how to speak truth and love. And so we don't have to rely on ourselves. Mm. We don't have to conjure up some type of game plan. We rely on the spirit of God to help us. See, I, I like that relying on the spirit of God, because ultimately when Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment in the law, he's talking about the law of Moses, but mm -hmm. the principle holds for us, I believe is he said, love the Lord, your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then, the, and then he goes, the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. But real love starts with God. Even in first John, it says we love because he first loved us. So love, originates with God. So it makes sense in those examples you shared about Paul rebuking Peter and Jesus rebuking the money changers mm -hmm. who were actually, he was actually disrupting the Sadducees financial interests there yeah. in the temple. They were the, the kind of the priestly class. And it makes sense that those that, that you would see Paul, you would see Jesus do these things. And, and yet we understood rightly there's no contradiction there between what they did and speaking the truth in love because love is first about God. Mm -hmm. So when Paul rebukes Peter, it's out of love for God and God's gospel. God yeah. has accomplished his gospel. I love him. I'm going to stick up for the truth of the gospel. And that's going to take priority to yeah. Peter's feelings. But there's also a love your neighbor aspect to it as well because Paul is defending his neighbors his gentile neighbors who were being slighted by paul but uh paul is defending his gentile neighbors against peter peter was treating them like they were less than you know full authentic mm -hmm. christians jesus yeah. is also similarly actually defending the gentile believers who couldn't come and worship because their their gentile court was filled with money changers so there is definitely a love of neighbor that's going on there. And you might say, well, yeah, but Paul wasn't loving Peter. Jesus wasn't loving those money changers. Oh, contrary. I think that they absolutely oh, yeah. were, right? And I think you'd agree. Sometimes the most loving thing you can do is offer someone a godly rebuke. Well, yeah. I mean, the, 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 the primary motivation for both those instances is what you said, for God's gospel, for God's glory. But the, the close second there is the true, genuine love for those people. I mean, we don't... We don't rebuke another Christian or correct another Christian unless we actually love them. Yeah. So. Yeah, because if because if we're not motivated by love, according to Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, Blake, now we're in danger of, of serious judgment. If we hate our brother, it's it's a, it's tantamount to murdering them, according right. to Jesus. So we better not be rebuking them in hatred. And if we are, um, you know, there's a Matthew 18 gives us a process for that as right. well, but. Yeah, we need to be motivated by love, even in our rebuke, even in our our um, what we might consider to be harsh words. Right. So that's good. Um, and then you've got the the chapter in here confronting with righteous anger. 
So I'm glad you addressed that. Uh, Blake. All right. Put yourself in the shoes of the other young dads watching this guys, your age, maybe a few years older, maybe a few years younger. They're going through a similar process to you. They're, they're, Love and theology. They're reading Sproul. They're either, even going back and reading the Puritans. Maybe they're going back and reading Athanasius. They're loving theology, man. They're yeah. they're they're reading theology and life, theology dash and dash life dot com. They're reading <laughs> the website, the blog, and um, they're they're getting into theology. All mm-hmm. right. Um, what advise them, man? Guide them on the next step in their journey. Where where do they need to go? They want to they want to expand their evangelism. They want to up their evangelism game other than reading your book, which I do recommend that they do. What other resources, what other next steps can they take to up their evangelism game in a way that's going to be Christ-like and not smug? Hmm. Insofar as like are you recommending a specific book, books, resources, hmm. sermons, something that something that um, maybe so- has meant a lot to you. Let me, it may not be a book or a sermon or anything like that, or even an article, because they're they're out there. I just, off the top of my head, I couldn't tell you. I know, and I'm putting you on the spot. No, it's okay. So, this is another part of, this is why it's pre-recorded. That's right. <laughs> so, honestly, I, I think this will this will be good, because probably a couple of years ago, even as, you know, knowing I'm full-blown, I'm a Calvinist, you know, I believe all the five points. You've got full-blown Calvinism. Yeah. Yep. You know, I, it, probably back then I'm still in my cage stage. Yeah. And I'm not, many times I'm not trying to convert you to Christ. I'm trying to convert you to Calvinism, you know. Mm-hmm. Which is the same thing, but go on. Sure. Okay, Spurgeon. <laughs> so I, as silly as this sounds, because um, this is something I, I could have gone to my pastors about as well. Um, I, I, sent a message on Facebook to Scotty Smith. Do you know who that is? I know the name. Don't okay. know. Him. So he, he's a part of the gospel coalition. He's like pastor emeritus of some Presbyterian church. He's written books. Um, if you, if you saw him, you probably know who I'm talking about. Okay. Um, basically, you know, I asked him, are you, are you reformed? Cause I, I'm pretty sure he was. And then I just, from reading his Facebook posts, from reading his tweets, from just reading his articles and his books, it's very winsome, very cordial, but it's not compromising of what he believes, um, but it's not ostracizing, whether it's ostracizing unbelievers or even fellow Christians. Hmm. So I message him basically like, how can someone like me who believes in the five points and all of this rich theology just just love people, whether it's unbelievers or fellow Christians who disagree over these things. And honestly, it wasn't it wasn't some grand piece of advice. You know, he said, "Yeah, I'm reformed. Hopefully, winfully, winsomely so, and all this stuff." And he just says, "You just you as simple as this is, you love Jesus and you love people." Yeah. Now, as simple and as straightforward as that can be. If I can give advice to somebody like me, that's the advice. You love Jesus and you love people. So you love Jesus. You, you Make sure you get the right Jesus. Mormons have a Jesus, but it's not the right Jesus. Right. You know, Muslims have a Jesus, but it's not the right Jesus. Get mm-hmm. the right Jesus. Um, read the scriptures. Learn theology. Read Spurgeon. Read Calvin. Heck, read Wesley. 
read widely. Um, don't be so focused on getting so wrapped up in the five points to where you're so puffed up with pride as we can all get. Um, don't make it all about Calvinism. Love Christ. Love him for who he is as he reveals himself in Scripture. Use secondary material to you know simply support that and, and to stir your heart even more. But make sure as well to to have that transfer down into your heart and to love people in the process. Because again, Calvinists, it, it's, of course, is not the reality, unfortunately, but Calvinists should be the most gracious people on the face of the planet. Uh, an arrogant Calvinist should be an oxymoron. Yeah. Exactly. And that's, that's the majority of Calvinists, at the very least online. Okay. Mm. In person, I don't know if it's the same way because the people I'm around – for the most part, are, are genuinely and all, all the stuff. And though we have, yeah, I think it's the guys who the guys who have the megaphones and yeah, sure. You know, I I, I have some names in mind, is... but I won't drop them. <laughs> <laughs> Probably well, good. I, I will. So we can, we don't have to put this on air because I don't, I don't feel bad ever talking about it. So I I had a conversation with um, now I can't think of their podcast. They're good. They're good guys. Uh, Car Carpe Fide. I don't know if you heard of these guys, but yeah, yeah, I know those. Okay, guys. okay. Yeah. So I was talking to them about kind of this issue too, and I'm like, going, pulpit and pen. Okay, I, I, you can't. It, at the very least, it, you may disagree, and we can talk about that. That's fine. But it's like JD Hall, that dude. It, oh, okay. <laughs> the, the more the more I talk, the more I'm going to incriminate myself and, <laughs> and, and, and feel bad about talking about him in the first place. But it's just it's a very extreme example of mm -hmm. of why I wrote the book. Okay. Um, very very extreme because sometimes I, I think he may not even be a brother. But mm. um, that's neither here nor there. Um, the the advice is to love Jesus and to love people. Um, we don't have to make it so complicated. We don't have to, you know, love Calvinism and love people. Love Jesus, and wherever that takes you with an orthodoxy, that's okay. And make sure to love people in the process, because if you yeah. do that, he gets glorified. Amen. Amen. And, you know, when it comes to J.D. Hall, pulpit and pen, <laughs> all that stuff, yeah. uh, Gideon Knox, the Gideon Knox group yes, or whatever. Man, see, that's just... I just can't do it. <laughs> Listen, man, I, um, no, I, I think you and I are probably on the same page when it comes to his stuff and not that I don't think he'd care. I, I don't think no, I'm, I'm not, even, I'm not going to edit this out because I don't think, I think I'm perfectly fine hearing with him hearing what I have to say. I think he gets a lot, right. I really do. I think he's got a, a very sure. discerning eye. I think very often, I'm not going to put a percentage on it, he's very uncharitable towards brothers and mm -hmm. he jumps to conclusions. And I've seen him uh, slander brothers in Christ that I know at least one brother I, I can think of. I won't mention his name, but slandering him as if he's not a brother. Yeah. It's like, man, you don't, well, you know, when Christ gave the, the keys to the kingdom, to the church, it wasn't so you could lock people out yeah, who, no. who are brothers. He made the statement on Twitter that basically after the whole SBC debacle with Ed Litton, the convention, oh, yeah. everything. Yeah. Um, he basically said, if you are, if you actively stay in the SBC and are okay with it, you're not my brother. I'm not going, 
Wow. What what gospel do you have that elevates that? You know. So he's either he's either wrong because we are brothers yeah. and he's a Christian, or he's right and we're not brothers. I mean, like, right. I mean, I'm, but I'm not going to make that judgment. Obviously, exactly. You know? Sure, sure. Um, but but I leave that open, and you know, Jesus Himself said, "Before His own Master, each servant will stand or fall." Yeah, and. He will stand because the Lord is able to make him stand. Or maybe, I guess Paul said that. But, you know, it's not our job to be judging somebody else's servant. Right. Now, when somebody's in sin, can we say, can we call that out? Oh, I sure sure hope so. Yeah. I sure hope we can use the principles in gospel smugness and and talk to them in love, speak the truth in love. Yeah. But, um, but, you know, we're not going around kicking people out. If someone's straight up apostatizing, and it's not like we go, oh, everyone who claims to be a Christian is. Right. If someone's denying the gospel. Okay, well, that's pretty good evidence that yeah, you're not a believer. Right. But, but no, someone stays in the SBC or, or a denomination you don't like. I mean, I've got brothers in the Catholic Church. I've got, I've got sisters in in the uh, ELCA, you know, in the in the PCUSA, denominations that I loathe yeah. um, because of the the nonsense that they teach. But there's brothers and sisters in those denominations. So, yeah. you know, if they affirm the gospel, right. So, all right, man. Um, how can people Get your book and follow your your thought. And 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 then why don't you tell us what you have going on next as well? So you can get the book primarily on Amazon um, because it was a self-published book. Um, you know, being a first timer is pretty difficult to get a publisher uh-huh. to jump on it. I, I didn't think it would happen anyways, but you still have to try. Mm-hmm. Um, you can get it on Amazon, $12.99, so $13.00. You can buy directly through me if you want to. It'll take much longer and you'll have to pay shipping. But you can, <laughs> you can go through me if you, if you want to sign a book because I'm so famous and everything. I'll sign it for you. Right on. Um, and, of course, people can contact me through social media for that. But um, I also learned the other day that's on Barnes & Nobles. Outside of the book, um, again, I write weekly um, at Theology and Life. So you can, again, if you want to go through me for the book, you can go to my blog and contact me through there, or you can go to um, Instagram. It's Blake underscore long 94. And then Twitter is Blake long 94. And then just my name at Facebook, of course. Oh, that's cool, man. It's clear you've got a long history of writing and um, theology in your future. And I appreciated your book. I appreciated talking with you about it. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, let's keep in touch. Maybe we'll do it again sometime. Yeah, sure. Okay, that about wraps it up for this episode. The Think Podcast is a production of The Think Institute and is produced by yours truly, Joel Sedecase. The Think Institute operates under Church Movements, a ministry of Crew under the division of Crew City. To learn about how to support The Think Institute and my family tax-free, go to thethink.institute slash partner. I hope you heard something helpful today. I know I did. Remember. This is not goodbye. This has just been a short stop on the journey as we learn to lead our families in defending the Christian message. And we'll see you next time. Until then, I hope it made you think. (music) 